Hello out there, Lucy Fenwick here, and I am happy to welcome you back into the Emberverse. I hope you've been well since our last chat. If you're new here, feel free to snoop around a bit. Now, please, make yourself cosy, and I will fill you in on all that has recently transpired. spoil anything, but today was unusual. Everything started out normal as I took breakfast with Diara in the dining room. It seems our mornings coincide, and the company is most welcome. I had researched a couple of shops I wanted to visit in hopes of securing some type of employment for the coming months, until I began at Skylab Academy. One being a bookshop, and the other a transport business that ships and receives goods, My interest in both is extreme, what with the physical books being such a treat for me and the variety of the goods being transported being a very good way to see what various tinkerers create. I wasn't sure which I was more excited at the prospect of. However, as I prepared to leave Madame de Vries, I realised I was going to need a jacket, which dampened my excitement a bit. This ongoing cool weather is most disturbing, as Teslas, and more specifically Kesselton, should be near uncomfortably warm at this time of the cycle. Nonetheless, I can't change the weather, so I grabbed a short-waisted canvas cloak and draped it over my shoulders. Madeline did my packing for me before I left home, making sure that everything I have with me looks good with everything else, because if left to my own dressing devices, I haven't a care if things match. Fashion styling comes naturally to Madeline, and she is always consulted before my father's trips to make sure the entourage's clothing is appropriate and fashionable for the destination. She's been doing this since she was eight. But here I am, nowhere near the story I'm trying to tell you. My point was that the only thing I had to consider today when it came to my wardrobe was whether I wanted to wear a skirt or pants. With the look of the sky... Rain clouds hanging around the edges of the city, I opted for the latter. My long skirts are wonderfully comfortable, but are not fun to drag around through wet streets. I've made that mistake before. Clad in slim-fitting black pants and a white blouse, with my beige cloak draped around my shoulders, I stopped in front of the mirror for a moment. Even with the less-than-lovely weather, there's more colour to my skin than I had when I got here, and my short curls are more unruly than ever. I put a wide-brimmed hat on to help control my hair and to keep today's forecasted rain at bay. With the addition of the hat, I couldn't help but smile. I looked every bit the tinkerer I was born. It seemed to be a good way to set off into the city to find myself a job. So set off I did. I made my way to the bookshop first. The owner and I spoke at length, but it just wasn't the right place for me. With my lack of knowledge surrounding the reference books, I wouldn't be much help to the patrons, and while it would be a fun job for me, I would be useless to her. Fair enough. I set off for the transport building, wishing I had packed a snack in one of the many pockets that line the inside of my cloak. As I left the main road and headed toward the port station, I had the overwhelming sense of being watched. I couldn't decide whether to turn around and look to see what might be causing the sensation, or to just keep going. With only a short way to go, I decided to keep walking and listening as hard as I could in case I could hear someone following me. 
There were plenty of people walking in the opposite direction I was, but only a few going toward the station. Gesselton's port station is a sight to see, stretching up higher than any other building in the area. The side facing the city consists of close to two dozen docking terminals for the dirigibles used around Tessalus. Six were docked as I approached, each one uniquely decorated and all of them glistening. The side facing away from the city, out to the bay, consists of a small handful of docking terminals for interplanetary ships. These ships vary in appearance as much as people do, from large to small and every shape imaginable. They come and go in much fewer numbers than the dirigibles. With the transport building quickly approaching, the sense of being watched faded. I finally chanced to look behind me and found nothing out of sorts that I could tell. I shook it off and took a deep breath before entering the transport building. It was a bustling place, with mechanicals carrying containers of goods from one side of the main room to the other, and more carrying them in the other direction. The desk in the middle of the room was occupied by a very large man. It wouldn't have surprised me if he'd been double my height if he would have risen from his chair. He sat there punching keys on an ancient-looking terminal as names and addresses flashed across the screen. I stood there for several long moments, not wanting to interrupt whatever work he was doing, but when he continued to ignore my presence, I couldn't help myself any longer. Raising myself up onto the balls of my feet to comfortably rest my arms on the desk, I opened my mouth to introduce myself. Just as I started to speak, the door behind me, the one I had entered from, opened. Annoyed, I turned to look. A young man, probably my own age, with red hair and light skin, an incredibly rare complexion, sauntered toward me with a look of concern on his face. Lucy. He spoke my name with no question. He knew it was mine. I told you I would be right back. There was no need to go looking for me. About to explain that I had no idea what he was talking about, he winked at me. This was the same young man that had pickpocketed the man in the street near Madame de Fries, though without the mechanical leg. The man behind the desk finally spoke. Rafa, what is the meaning of this? I started to open my mouth again to clarify that I wasn't sure and that I was there seeking a job, but the young man, Rafa apparently, cut me off. Apologies, Cedric, Rafa replied. Lucy just got a little turned around leaving the station and was looking for me. We'll just be on our way. He looked at me with a pointed expression daring me to argue, but I couldn't. I didn't understand what was going on, but Rafa, once again, didn't feel like a threat. Deciding to play whatever game he was up to, I turned back to the man with as much of an apologetic look on my face as I could muster. He made a humph noise and looked back to his screen, fingers slowly clacking away once more, and I followed the young man back toward the door. As we reached the door, the man, Cedric, spoke again. You'd best keep her away from the seven doors, Rafa, or you'll be wishing you'd been sent to the ten rings. Rafa didn't respond, or even acknowledge the threat in any way. He just opened the door for me and followed me back onto the street. We walked in silence back in the direction I had come, past a handful of buildings before I reached out, grabbing his arm, stopping him. When I turned to look at him, he was no longer red-headed, his black hair and olive complexion had returned. Formling. 
I'd noticed it the first time I'd encountered him. The shapeshifters are an interesting bunch, and Rafa seemed most mischievous. I asked, would you like to tell me what all of that was about? I figured not responding to his change of form would be the best way to throw him off. It worked. You already knew, didn't you? He crossed his arms, smiling at me. What was all that about? I asked again, pointing back toward the transport building. He raked his hand through his hair like he did the first time we met. Or didn't meet, rather. That would have been a big mistake, he said, mimicking the motion I made toward the building behind us. I asked him why, in a most annoyed voice. To which he responded, Because you're new here and you don't know what you're doing. I was just looking for a job. They have an ad listed at the market. He rested his hands on his hips and looked at me quizzically. How can you be both so incredibly smart and so incredibly naive at the same time? I still didn't understand what he was talking about, and I told him so. He took a deep breath and motioned for us to keep walking. Then he started talking, telling me that that transport business is not legitimate and is frequently involved in the trafficking of goods, often working with the blood rogues. He explained that they do a good job of keeping their appearance clean as to not draw attention to themselves, but that it would not be a good place for an ambassador's daughter to be employed. In a rather rare moment, I didn't have much to say in response to all of that. So I just shook my head. My father would have been most displeased had I either gotten myself into any sort of trouble or gotten myself involved in the trafficking of goods. You seem to know them well enough, I said. Well, when you grow up on the wrong side of the city, you do what you can to get by, he shrugged. We were back on the main road, and he turned in the direction of my lodging without my prompting. I didn't know Kesselton had a wrong side. He laughed and said, everywhere has a wrong side. We walked for a few more moments before I had to ask how he knew who I was. I haven't made my identity known to any other than Madame de Free. His only response? I have my ways. By then, we were back to the intersection where we had first encountered one another. We parted ways just as the rain started to fall. The tent that was in the alleyway that day was gone, replaced by a food vendor that looked highly questionable, but still reminded me of how empty my stomach was. Since returning to my rooms, two things have occupied nearly every thought I've had. One being what the history of Kesselton is. Where is this wrong side of the city that Rafa spoke of? And how did it come to be? What is the culture really like here? I must admit, I've been too curious about the tinkerers as a species and the magic that we possess to pay much attention to anything else since I've been here. And that needs to change. The other thing bothering me is what is the seven doors? I would have asked Rafa outright if I thought he would have answered me. But the threat from Cedric had been too genuine. I'll need to find out on my own. And carefully. I've done some cursory searches using the screen I brought with me from home. But with the limited net connectivity here on Tesselis, I haven't found anything useful. As I'd expected. For now, I'll worry mainly about what Rafa said. And I'll also see if I can find myself a job somewhere that my father would approve of. <laughs> if such a place exists in Gesselton. We shall see. 
until we chat again. Look up at the stars, take a deep breath, and remember that I, for one, am thankful you are out there. Lucy Fenwick, signing off. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Stephanie Dawn, author and voice of Into the Emberverse. If you enjoyed today's installment, please consider buying Lucy a cup of coffee through Ko-fi. Link in the show notes below or at intotheemberverse.com. Every cup helps Lucy pay for her room at Madame Dufries and also keeps her adventures advertisement free. New episodes of Into the Emberverse release every other Wednesday. So make sure you hit that follow button and they'll be saved for you. If you were intrigued by what you heard today, please share this episode on social media. Every share is like a little hug and is appreciated more than you realize. For more of Lucy and other Emberverse stories, you can find all of our socials in the show notes below. Until we chat again, take care of one another.